Welcome back to Basecamp, where we are currently walking through two different studies as a church, systematic theology and biblical manhood and womanhood. And as you can tell from the topic of today's episode, we are in our biblical manhood and womanhood series, and today we are beginning to consider biblical femininity. Now, I've been thinking a lot about biblical manhood for the last number of years because uh, my oldest just turned seven this past week. Uh, my next my next one is five. And, and so with those two little boys, I've been thinking about biblical manhood a lot with them, training boys uh, to grow into to manhood. But, but also in, in churches, I deal a lot with, with men. But, but biblical manhood, uh, along with biblical femininity, ha- have been things I've been, you know, walking through for a, a very long time. But in the, in the last uh, 15 months or so, biblical femininity has gotten a whole new resurgence in my mind, as I now have a little girl that I pray would grow up one day to be a godly woman, right, who loves the fact that God has made her to be a girl, and as her dad, I have the responsibility of ensuring that she grows up not to be a little girl for forever, but a little girl who grows into a godly woman, who knows, loves, and cherishes God's word, and, and knows what does it mean to go from being a little girl to being a godly woman. Right? And beyond just the typical differences that one could notice maybe on playgrounds between little girls and little boys, it's been a joy of mine to consider how Smith and I are raising this, this little firecracker uh, to use her strength and gifts to serve our, our family and our church and one day the world, specifically as a godly woman. You know, for now, she is little, but she won't always be that way. And she will grow up in the blink of an eye. So let's dive in and start talking about biblical femininity. And can I just say as we're getting started that our world has high expectations for women? And all the women said, yes, they do. (laughs) Think about it. Today's ideal woman radiates both beauty and competence. I mean, look at her Instagram feed and you'll see. She can get the promotion, balance the budget, get her kids to eat Brussels sprouts, run a marathon, all without smudging her mascara and having a side hustle. Right? She can, as one billboard I recently saw around Winnipeg claims, she can bring home the bacon and cook it up too. And, and women today are just constantly told that, that they don't need to let any traditional, outdated stereotypes of femininity define them, but rather they can define themselves, however they want to be, whoever they want to be. And yet at the same time, so many women in our culture feel trapped by impossibly lofty expectations, <laughs> right? It's a trap at the same time, right? To be successful, to have cute kids, to be pretty, to have a life that's put together, Right, and so much so that it could be featured on the, the cover of Magnolia magazine. Now, it's, it's also important that we should recognize, right, right from the beginning of this episode, that, that women, women also haven't always been treated as deserving of equal worth and respect, both in our society and in societies around the world. And there are many injustices that persist today. And one area that we see this is within the arena of work. Right, where women often receive unequal wages even when they have comparable skills. Something Jordan Peterson and others have rightly recognized and spoken of at length in their attempts to help women be more assertive in the workplace. And, and it's terrible that it is so, right? But, but many women have, have also felt and experienced that when, when maybe even requesting a more flexible schedule on the job so they can help dedicate raising kids or picking kids up from places. 
that even in that one act might be seen as risking uh, future uh, promotions or that they might even be seen as less ambitious than their peers or various other things. So in our culture, it's interesting because we can have exalted expectations on the one hand, challenges and sufferings on the other. Right? So, so where can we go to think rightly about what it means to be a woman? And as we've done each episode of Basecamp, we need to first go to the Scripture to find an answer. And as we do, what, what do we see? Well, I'm going to give you some Cole's notes, and then we're going to go back and see how we got there. So firstly, we know that women have far greater dignity and worth than the world ascribes them. They are created in the image of God to display His glory throughout the universe. Second, women have a far greater problem than the world recognizes, right? The problem of sin and rebellion against God. But, but women have a far greater Savior than the world offers. There is a sinless servant who is radical in the way that he befriended women and offered them life. And thirdly, women have been given instruction by this Savior in his word on how they are to express their femininity. And as we open Scripture and study Scripture systematically, we note a few things about women in particular. Firstly, dear sister, you are called to seek godliness. Now, there's nothing different between men and women in this call to seek after godliness, right? Like men are also supposed to be godly. Women, you're supposed to be godly. But, but it's an important thing to note at the beginning of our biblical femininity discussion that God has made you as a woman, and that is a very good thing. And how you pursue godliness, you will do so as a woman, N- not as a generic, genderless person, <laughs> but rather as a woman. And then also as we study God's creation design, we need to remember that creation is fallen. See, men and women suffer the consequences of living in a fallen world, and our inherited corruption touches all of who we are. Thus, as we talked about how some men may find that masculine tendencies feel less natural to them, so some women may find that feminine tendencies feel less natural to them. And the goal for both men and women is simply this. Seek to live as God has made you. He is the one who made you, male or female, as he knit you together in your mother's womb. Thus, for you, dear sister, don't feel that you need to somehow strive against your God-given gender. Rather, delight that God made you a woman. There are wonderful things that come with your femininity that you should not shy away from. And God distinctly made you a woman to reveal something about his character and his nature that you have been designed for that men cannot do. And then the third thing that we need to also understand is that Scripture sometimes describes femininity in the context of a marriage relationship. And I don't want that to be disheartening to some of our single sisters See, when the scriptures were written, and even today, right, marriage is a familiar context in which the virtues of femininity could be illustrated. But this doesn't mean that a woman has to be married to be feminine, right? We all know this, of course, but we can look at Esther, Ruth, Mary, and others in scripture to see exemplary, strong, single women and widows who can teach us much. 
And we'll try to do that as we go along in today's episode. So let's dive into a few scriptures and let's get started with Genesis chapters 1 to 3. I know, you're like, always, we always go back there. I know. And so as we're getting started, remember that Genesis chapter 1 verse 26 to 27 is that foundational uh, view of, of men and women, right? It teaches us that men and women are both created in God's image. We have the same value, dignity, honor, and worth. Also recall God's creation mandate that he gives us in Genesis chapter 1, right? He called men and women to exercise dominion over the earth. This is for men and women. And to be fruitful and multiply. And when we turn to Genesis chapter 2, we see that God creates the man first, right? We talked about that the last two weeks. And in verse 15, we see the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. So man begins exercising dominion over the ground from which God created him. Man then names the animals, he works and guards the garden, but things are not yet very good. No, verse 18, then the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. And in verses 23 to 24, we see that because the woman is bone of the man's bones and flesh of his flesh, they can be united together as one flesh in marriage. So the man was literally unable to be fruitful and multiply on his own. He's not able to do the things that God has created mankind to do. He needed Eve. And Eve also is unable to fulfill this mandate apart from her husband. So, so neither of them is more important than the other. Rather, they both need one another in order to fulfill the commands that God has given to them. Thus, God ordained to express his image in two genders, male and female. And the couple would be unable to exercise God's dominion and be fruitful without each other. Now, with that said, the man does seem to have an inclination towards working the ground. Chapter 2, verse 15. And thus the dominion part of the creation mandate. The woman, on the other hand, is the one who bears children and thus helps. Chapter 2, verse 18. The couple do what God has commanded them to do to fulfill the be fruitful part of the creation mandate in particular. Thus they, they need each other. And they both fulfill the whole mandate together. But they have different strengths and tendencies with regard to that mandate. Right? So, so it's the man's responsibility, as we talked about in our last two episodes, to give himself to protect and to provide for this woman, to care about her flourishing, to ensure that she is thriving well. Thus, it's the man's responsibility to lead, protect, and provide for this woman so that she flourishes. Which leads us to an important question. I know, you're all thinking it. Here it is. What is the woman's role in this first marriage designed to be? Well, we mentioned it a moment ago, but verse 18, she is to be a helper to the man as they jointly exercise dominion over the garden. And now before you start dogging on the word helper, we must also remember this is an exalted title in the Bible. In fact, God himself is often called the helper of his people in the Old Testament. Psalm 54, 4, behold, God is my helper. The Lord is the upholder of my life. I mean, without God's help, we would be doomed. <laughs> and, and that's how desperately Adam needs Eve. Without her help, he would be doomed. Yeah, and even the title helper, though, 
It also does confirm that the husband is called to exercise this loving, sacrificial authority in the marriage relationship. And as we've mentioned in the previous weeks, the man was created first, right? As Paul points out in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 13, and God is the one who will hold him accountable actually for the couple's sin in chapter 3. But in all this, don't, don't be mistaken, helper is a term of strength. Suffice it to say, this does not mean that Eve was created to make Adam breakfast in bed or fetch him the TV remote. No, Adam is supposed to be out of bed way before Eve, working the ground. <laughs> uh, no, see, God, God blesses the man with this incredible gift, this, this wonderful woman that, that helps him faithfully carry out God's commission and commands. See, it, it wasn't good for the man to be alone primarily because he was unable to exercise dominion fully and be fruitful and multiply without her, but also because the man has no one who is like him until God gives this woman to him. Right? Think about that. The man has no one who is able to be his friend and partner in God's purposes and plans. He's all alone in his humanity. He has no one else until her. Thus, in the context of this first marriage, Eve was to be Adam's equal with her own distinct gifts who would complement him in every way, even as she submitted to his leadership in their marriage. Let me say that again. That's very important. Eve is to be Adam's equal with her own distinct gifts who would complement him in every way, even as she submitted to his leadership in their marriage. Now, Eve would improve Adam's weaknesses and sharpen his strengths. Thus, she is to use her wisdom, strength, perspective, insight, and creativity to help him in ways that he crucially needs. And in studying for today's episode, I found this this old quote from Matthew Henry. He has this quote that reflects uh, on the, the fitting symbolism uh, possibly suggested by God's design here. And, and it was in the show notes of, of things that I was going through as well. And it's one I've seen numerous times as I've studied Genesis 1 to 3. But this is what he says of the woman. He says, The woman was made of a rib out of the side of Adam, not made out of his head to rule over him, nor made out of his feet to be trampled upon by him but out of his side to be equal with him, under his arm to be protected, and near his heart to be beloved. <laughs> that is a beautiful line that is this close to Valentine's Day. And so husbands, if you weren't writing that down somewhere, I'm going to put it in the show notes for you. Uh, you need to find a way to slip that into your wife's card this year or somehow into a text or something on Valentine's Day. That would be awesome. Um, <laughs> and so this is how God created them to be, right? These differences in gender and role and yet equal in worth and dignity and value and and everything is very good as we see this first marriage, where, where this woman is given to Adam as a good and precious gift that he is to steward and love and protect. And, and then we get to Genesis chapter 3. And, and we know this is where we see the fall, right? Adam and Eve both sinned against God in a way that went against his design for their roles. right? So, so you remember, Adam was supposed to lead and protect Eve. But, but does he? No. 
Instead, he doesn't bop the serpent on the head when, when he starts talking to his wife and trying to convince her that God is withholding something good from her. No, he sits by and doesn't protect her. He also doesn't remind her of God's faithfulness. He doesn't provide for her, and he doesn't lead her. Rather, he sits idly by and lets a snake woo his woman to question the words of God and the judgment of God and attack the character and nature of God. And instead of leading her to refute this snake and to trust in God's faithfulness, he follows her by eating the fruit. Thus, Adam fails to do what God has called him to do. And then Eve, remember, was supposed to follow and help her husband fulfill God's purposes and plans, but instead she is wooed away from covenant faithfulness and wants to be like God, deciding good and evil for herself. And she leads her husband into temptation. And as a result, we have the fall. Right? And in the verses that follow, we see the impacts on the serpent and on Eve and then on Adam. And the impacts on women are found in Genesis chapter uh, 3 verse 16. And we see that now women will bear children in pain. And all the women who have had a kid say, come on, Eve. <laughs> but not only that, but from here on out, there will also be strife in her relationship with her husband. Now, in our first three weeks, we explained that the masculinity leads itself to a working disposition, right? The man was created from the ground and called to work the ground and saw the ground cursed because of his sin. And in contrast to that, the scriptures suggest that femininity tends to involve what we're going to call a relational disposition. See, in contrast to the man who was made from the dirt, the woman was created from the man. She's called to help him. Thus, isn't it interesting that the judgment of God upon her relates to her role in childbearing being harder and her relationship with the man being challenged and harder as a result of the fall? But while the fall has made it harder to fulfill the gendered dispositions that God has given us, it hasn't eradicated those dispositions. No, we still have the imago Dei as humans. Men and women both still bear the image of God. So while men are, of course, called to care for others in life-giving relationships, it's women in particular that seem designed by God to be relationally oriented and to use their strength and energy to nurture and bring life to others in, in, in ways that God has just beautifully created you, dear sisters, to do. In a way that, honestly, if you're in a room of dudes and a room of girls, of, of women, there's, there's much more relational connectivity in that room of, of women than there are with dudes, right? The dude's like, what are we doing together? The girl's like, let's all just talk and have coffee together. There's a drastic difference here. And they are the intended relational centers of their homes. This is you, dear sister, the relational center of your home. You bind others together in all of these life-giving and nourishing ways. Apart from you, homes would not be homes. They would not be these relational centers, binding others together in these life-giving and nourishing ways. And we see this even in the promises of God given in the curse upon Satan in Genesis 3. All right, we see that there will come a son from the woman, one of her own offspring, who will then crush the head of the serpent. Right, and we know from studying theology, this is called the proto-evangelion, the, the, the prototype of the gospel. 
right? The first hint and clues of the good news of God's secret rescue plan, that there's coming a son who will crush the head of the wicked old serpent and redeem and restore everything that is broken. Thus, as Adam and Eve believe in the promise of God and this hope of a coming son, this, this promise just litters the entire Old Testament, right? All the way throughout redemptive history. We even see in Genesis 15, 6, that Abraham believes in the promises of God, this coming son, and it's through faith in the son that he is declared righteous in everyone following him. This is the faith of Abraham. And this promise is fulfilled in none other than Jesus, coming through the lineage of Adam and Abraham and David. And he comes and he's bitten by the serpent. He suffers and dies in our place and rises from the dead, conquering over Satan, sin, and death. And so women have a wonderful and a beautiful role in God's redemptive plan. Listen to this, Genesis chapter 3, verse 20. We read, The man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. Now, this is a fitting name because in practical way, Eve bears the children that bear the children that bear children. Thus, there are many who owed their physical life to her bearing children in the womb and then sustaining them through those early years and helping provide for them to be functioning adults in the future, right? So, so yes, she's the mother of all living. Yep, gotcha. But, but in a much greater sense, throughout redemptive history, we see that God's promises to humanity would come through this very ordinary means of child-rearing. This is how uh, how God would accomplish his plans and purposes to humanity. Thus, being a mother is a noteworthy and a remarkable thing. Right? To give yourself to nurturing human life with all the pains and aches and struggles involved, it is a noteworthy and a remarkable thing. So we want to recognize that femininity itself does involve nurturing life. Because we are only here because our moms carried and sustained and nurtured our lives, <laughs> which is an amazing reality. But, in, and let me say this as clearly as I can, the rest of the scripture reminds us that though God has ordained that, that only women are able to get pregnant and bring forth the next generation of people into this world, that doesn't mean that you, dear sister, are only valuable if you are able to get pregnant and have babies. No, your femininity goes much deeper than that. God's call on your life goes much deeper than that. He's called you, dear sister, to nurture life around you, to use your relational proclivities and desires and nurturing strengths to foster fruit and growth and encouragement in godliness in those around you. For example, Paul exhorts women in Titus chapter 2, verse 3, to train other women in godliness. Oh, dear sister, to nurture the spiritual lives of those around you. This is the this is so consistent, isn't it, with, with this God-given feminine inclination and makeup to cultivate life in others. Thus, biblical femininity has this beautiful call for all women in a unique way to give your lives to cultivating physical and spiritual life in others as you are able. That is a consistent call that we see throughout the scriptures. Think of, think of Timothy's mom and grandmother. 
right? Two generations of faithful women leading young Timothy, teaching him the scriptures from an early age. Aren't we thankful for godly women? And think of the sisters who used their financial means to sustain and nourish Jesus and his disciples. I mean, isn't that what we see in Luke chapter 8, verse 3, with Mary and Joanna, Susanna, and others? Right? Leading us to note that God calls all women to be mothers and sisters in a broader sense, not just physically, but spiritually, as you give your lives to helping our local church to sustain and nurture spiritual life in those around you. So that's Genesis and a few texts in the New Testament, but let's turn now to the most famous women's ministry passage ever. Come on, you already know what it is. It's Proverbs chapter 31. And we should note again that this text, as we know, is not particularly about women, right? If we remember, Proverbs constantly compares lady wisdom and lady folly. And the writer of this book constantly encourages his son to choose lady wisdom. Thus, here at the very end of the book, we see lady wisdom personified. Thus, this text is just as good for a men's conference as a women's conference, but I, I, will, I will back off on that conversation again. I, it's, a, it's a good one, but we won't have it now. But, but let's just walk through. And, and I do want us to, to notice some uniquely feminine virtues in this description. I think this is, this is a good thing for our, our sisters to, to read through. So let's, let's read through this text together and then talk about a couple of things that we see in it. So let's start in verse 10. An excellent wife who can find. She's far more precious than jewels. The heart of her husband trusts in her, and he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not harm all the days of her life. She seeks wool and flax and works with willing hands. She is like the ships of the merchant. She brings her food from afar. She rises while it is yet night and provides food for her household and portions for her maidens. She considers a field and buys it. With the fruit of her hands, she plants a vineyard. She dresses herself with strength and makes her arms strong. She perceives that her merchandise is profitable. Her lamp does not go out at night. She puts her hand to the distaff and her hands hold the spindle. She opens her hand to the poor and reaches out her hands to the needy. She's not afraid of snow for her household, for all her household are clothed in scarlet. She makes bed coverings for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. Her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. She makes linen garments and sells them. She delivers sashes to the merchant. Strength and dignity are her clothing, and she laughs at the time to come. She opens her mouth with wisdom, and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. She looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praises her. Many women have done excellently, excellently but, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceitful. Beauty is vain. But a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Give her of the fruit of her hands and let her works praise her in the gates. <laughs> Love that chapter. It's so good. 
Let's notice a few things about Lady Wisdom and see what you can, dear sister, learn about biblical femininity. You too, brother. What can we see about biblical femininity and who God has called our our wives and our daughters to be? First, notice that she uses her strength selflessly and wisely. This woman is strong. She makes her arms strong. (laughs) And throughout these verses, we we see a picture of feminine industry and ingenuity that is genuinely astounding. I mean, think of all this woman does. Right, she develops a textile business and burns the midnight oil so she can provide for her family and others in need. Also knows in verse 17 that real femininity literally involves strength. This woman is not weak, nor is it commendable for women to be weak. <laughs> no way. We need, as a church, strong women who use their strength selflessly and wisely like Lady Wisdom. I mean, see how she uses her strength to get solid work done as well as to care for the poor. And while her hands are busy in the embodied physical world, she blesses others with spiritual counsel as well. Verse 26, she speaks wisdom and teaches kindness. Thus, her mouth is not shut. Rather, she guards her words and and she uses them so that they bless others and point them to God. So she uses her strength selflessly and wisely. We also know that her endeavors bless her family and community. Now, do you remember what we said earlier about how femininity involves nurturing life? Well, that's exactly what this woman does, as she generously feeds the poor and clothes her own children. Even though she can do many things, notice how devoted she is to being a helper to her husband and her children. Not only that, but she has business endeavors outside the home, and her work benefits her family and her neighbors. And let me pause right here also to say that this principle still applies to you sisters who are single. We have examples of women in the Bible that are noteworthy in their efforts to bless others. In, in Acts chapter 9, verse 36, we see Tabitha, right? And we see there that, that she was full of good works and acts of charity. Oh, I wish the single women of our church would be known for that. Good works and acts of charity. What a great thing to be known for. Or Phoebe in Romans 16.1, she's a servant of the church at Concrae, who had been a patron of many, including the Apostle Paul. Now, we don't know if these women were married, but, but isn't it telling that no husband is ever mentioned? They're simply notable for how they nourish and cultivate life in others. Man, and we need you, single sisters, to do the same. Give your life to helping cultivate life in others. So godly women seek to bless their family, their church family, and their community. We also see that this woman fears the Lord. We see that in verse 30. And in a day where external beauty is often noticed first, the Holy Spirit wants to remind us here that true beauty is found in a heart that reverences and adores God. And there is a lasting beauty here. There is a beauty that that no makeup or beauty regimen could ever give someone. And this woman knows that God is her judge and God is the one whom she must love and serve above all else. And lastly, in, in reading through and examining this text, we ought to see this example from Lady Wisdom as freeing, not discouraging. 
which might be the opposite to how you might feel, ladies. Right? As you study and read through that, you might see this. <laughs> you might see this long list of things and be, be discouraged, right? Like, like you feel weighed down. Like, man, I can't do any of the things that Lady Wisdom does. And when you feel that way, you're reading it rightly. See, that's part of the point. Because remember, Lady Wisdom is dis- described in this idealized way. And it's calling to live your life towards wisdom, not folly. In fact, this text is also an acrostic poem. It starts with, each line of it starts with a different letter of the Hebrew alphabet, which reflects the sense of completion. So, so if you feel like you don't measure up to the Proverbs 31 woman, that's the whole point. You don't, and you never could. But it is meant to make you long for someone who could live up to this. But you won't find this mystical person on Instagram. <laughs> no, you won't find him there. But rather, you, you will find this in Jesus, whose very life is a fulfillment of pursuing lady wisdom perfectly. I mean, who else other than Jesus could live up to these impossible standards? Thus, look to Jesus for his righteousness applied to your account and recognize that he has lived the perfect life that you ought to have lived. And he has given you God the Spirit to help empower you to follow Lady Wisdom. So don't look at this list in Proverbs 31 of all these things you have not accomplished, but rather, but rather look at what God is going to sanctify you towards in this life so that you might use your strength selflessly and wisely, that you might endeavor to bless your family and our church family and your community, that you might grow in the fear of the Lord as you pour yourself out so that others might be happy in God. Oh, dear sister, this picture of godly femininity is huge and it should beckon you to depend on the Lord. He is your Savior. And the truth is that there is no perfect woman among the daughters of Eve, right? Whether in the book of Proverbs or in our church, there are only imperfect daughters who have put on the righteousness of Christ as their only hope in life and in death. And all of us, women and men, are saved not by our ability to live out the virtues that we see in the book of Proverbs, but by trusting in the one who is wisdom himself. So thanks for tuning in to this episode of Basecamp as we've started to explore biblical femininity. And we'll continue to do so next week. Uh, we want to especially thank the wonderful folks at Capitol Hill Baptist Church for their assistance in this week's episode and for providing the structure and outline for discussing biblical femininity. And if you'd like more information on this topic or other things within biblical manhood or womanhood, please be sure to check out the link in our show notes for the website on the Council of, uh, for the Council on Biblical Manhood and Womanhood. We'll be back next week to continue our discussion and uh, look forward to picking it up then.